Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 139 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of March 2015, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 16, The Affirmation of God's Judgment, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 31. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word this morning, again beginning in Genesis Chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielded fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let Fowl multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat." To every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. All right. We have covered these chapters in the past. We've read this passage. You say, Preacher, why are we reading that again this morning? Well, I hope you'll see as we move through our thoughts for, for this morning. And of course, as we've looked here before, we've saw a number of important things already. And I would just remind you as we look back over recent months that we began here by looking at the authority of God's Word, the foundation. We say that the Genesis account is fundamental to our Christian faith because many of the great doctrines and teachings of Scripture, their foundation is laid right here in the book of Genesis. The authority of God's Word, the assertion that a God exists and created everything that is, the absoluteness of God's creation. He did it by himself from nothing. It was him alone that did it. We've looked at the advancement of the human race. We've looked at the accountability of mankind, our accountability to our creator. We've looked at the administration of home life, which each and every one of us are a part of. We've looked at the acuteness the seriousness, the depths of man's fall when he fell into sin. We've looked at the abolishment of Satan, our enemy, our arch enemy, that one day will take place. We've looked at that glorious atonement for sin, being put back at one with God after we were separated after that fall in the garden. And then we took a few weeks looking at the acceptance of offerings to God. The first thing that mankind did, the first thing recorded in God's Word after he left the Garden of Eden as chapter 4 began, we saw there was that man brought offerings to God. Man worshiped God. He worshiped him with offerings, and we looked at a number of things continued there. But as we continue in our series, I want us to look at something else that is, its very foundation is laid right here in the book of Genesis and of course, as we continue to look into God's Word, this is the problem many times is that people want to take a, a, a verse from here or a thought from there or something over here, and they want it all to make sense. But God's Word all fits together so perfectly. That's why the more you read it, the more you study it, the more time you spend in it. Why does our faith grow? Why does faith come from the Word of God? 
Because as we see how it comes together, we see more and more all the time how it can only be God. As we keep these things in mind, we want to look at one other thing today, and that's the affirmation of God's judgment. What do we mean by that? What are we talking about when we say the affirmation of God's judgment? Well, let's break it down. What do we mean when we talk about judgment? Well, in its most simple terms, it's, it's funny. It's one of those words that if you were to actually go to the dictionary or probably go online nowadays, but if you were to look up the definition of the word judgment, you'd find a whole list of different ones because it can fit into a lot of different things. But overall, it's the act of judging something, of evaluating something. It's being able to come to some type of a, an authoritative decision based on the evidence that you have before you. It could be a judgment in so many areas. It could be a judgment over a sporting event. <laughs> you know, so many times there are those that have to sit in a position of judgment as to whether that was a goal or not a goal, whether this person won or that person won, whether this was fair play or that wasn't fair play. Somebody is sitting there looking at the evidence, looking at all that's going on, and they're making a judgment based upon that. Might be a beauty contest. <laughs> I'll be lined up there and somebody's having to make a judgment as to of all these human beings, which one in their eyes is the most beautiful. Or a talent show. Most of us have seen those at times. There might be a, a panel of judges that is sitting there and these people are doing all of their things, whatever their, their given talent might be. It might be singing or dancing or telling jokes or whatever it is, but somebody is sitting there and they're having to look at all this before them, and they're having to make a judgment upon who is going to win that talent show. No, literally, judgment can be made about anything at all. <laughs> In law, a judgment is something that is a formal decision, something that is reached by a court of law that is presided over by a judge that sits there who is himself the authority over all of those proceedings that are taking place. The rulings, the judgments, whatever is reached by that court is under his jurisdiction. Now, those can be positive or negative rulings. It can be about something as mundane and Innocent is deciding which party has a specific right to this or where that line should be drawn between those houses. Who's going to get Uncle Joe's watch after he's dead and gone? People fight over anything. And many times somebody has to judge who's right and who's wrong and who's going to get this and who's not. Sometimes it can be something much, much more serious. Sometimes judgment is being passed upon someone's life as to whether they're to spend the rest of their life locked away in some places whether it's going to cost them their own life because somebody's sitting in judgment as to whether they maybe have taken another human being's life and what the circumstances are. And somebody is having to sit there and look at that evidence that's before him and they're having to make a judgment. 
Every one of us. We pass judgments on things every day of our lives and most of the time without even thinking about it. <laughs> it's time to go have lunch. <laughs> we think about where we're going to go to have lunch. Well, we're not going to go there. Why? Because I don't really like that as much as I'm going to like this. I don't like the service there as much as I like the service over here. We're maybe driving to work and we make judgments on which way we think is going to be the quickest and which way is going to be the slowest and where is all the traffic going to be. And we can look at all the evidence in the world and we still usually get it wrong most of the time. But we make judgments all the time about things all around us and it's a necessary part of life. We evaluate things and we come to decisions based on the information that we have. Sadly, I know you probably haven't, but Sometimes I've made some pretty rash decisions. <laughs> Sometimes I've made some pretty hasty judgments that were horribly wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it was because maybe the information that I had before me was only partial information. Or sometimes it may be because what I had was false information altogether. But I've come to judgments that were wrong based on what I thought because of what I saw and of course, it's amazing how that even in a group like this right here this morning, we could be passing judgments on things and however many of us there are in here is probably about how many different opinions that we could get. We see and we have different judgments. We make different decisions about things sometimes because we have different information that we're basing it on. But sometimes it's even because we have the same information, but we see it totally different. We look at something and one sees one thing and one sees another, and we're supposed to be looking at, at the same thing, but we make judgments based on what we see. I think one of the things we have to be most careful about is that so often, based on very limited information, we can be very quick to pass judgment on other people around us. <laughs> They're not as spiritual as I am because they don't do this or because they do do that. We may look at them and say, well, <laughs> why did old so-and-so do that? Or <laughs> how, did they, how did they ever think that that was going to work? See, so many times we look about us and we can easily be so sure that we've got it all figured out when in actual fact, we don't have a clue. But we're convinced. And maybe it's because we lack information and maybe it's because that we're looking at the information wrong and maybe it's because of all kinds of things, even wrong information. F.B. Meyer, the great London preacher, he made this statement he said, when we see a brother or sister in sin, have you ever seen anybody else with any sin in their life? <laughs> he says, when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. But then he went on to say, we also do not know what we would have done 
in the same circumstances. You see, we pass judgments, and we do it every day. But many times we're passing judgments that, may I simply say, we're not capable of. <laughs> we're not in a position to. Judgment is something that we should, and most of the time do, approach with a certain amount of trepidation. Nervous, we're anxious. It, it really doesn't matter if you stop and think about it, what most of those judgments are about. We, we may be nervous, we may be anxious, if for no other reason because we don't know how it's going to turn out. We have no way of knowing until the decision is made what the end result is going to be. And maybe that's going to affect us in some way. A lot more could be said, but what I want you to just grasp and keep in mind, that judgment is a natural part of our lives every day that we live. May I say to you that the very foundation, the formation of what judgment should be is given to us right here in the book of Genesis. But we're saying the affirmation of not just any judgment, but we're looking here for the affirmation of God's judgment. Now, that raises a lot of hairs a lot of times all over back of your neck and the arms and everything else. Sometimes it brings up remarks like, oh, no, <laughs> not that, please. <laughs> oh, no, another one of those hellfire and brimstone messages. <laughs> judgment, why? Because most of the time, we tend to always jump to the negative conclusion. <laughs> we think about judgment. We hear about it. We associate it so many times with something that's hard or harsh or hell-related. <laughs> but maybe the problem is, is that most of the time, most of the judgments that we are in contact with are too human-related. <laughs> That's what we know of, and some of those aren't so nice. And also, when we're thinking about God's judgment, it sometimes raises some very, very hard and challenging questions. Some of the very questions that <laughs> I've been called on in the past, even speaking at the universities to answer some of these questions, and, boy, you've got your job cut out for you to even attempt, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> How could a God of love do something so unkind or so unloving? How could he be so cruel and callous? We hear things like, how could your God of love be so quick to punish all those good, innocent people out there? Why would he even create them in the first place if he was just going to go around and, and judge them so harshly? Have you ever been asked any of those questions? I have. <laughs> and, you know, I don't expect to answer all those things fully for you here this morning or over the next weeks and probably never. But I do hope that we can have a better understanding because they are important. 
But if we are to have a better understanding, it's not going to come from all of man's philosophies and ideas and thoughts upon it. It's going to come from God himself and his word if we're truly to understand it. First of all, God isn't looking for innocent people to punish. You hear what I said? God is not out there looking for innocent people that he can punish. That's the idea we get sometimes. That you got this, this voracious, you know, uncaring, unloving God that's just all strung out on his power and he's going around trying to figure out how many people he can hurt today, how many people he can throw into hell, how many people's lives can he torment. I don't know anything about my God that would even give us the hint of an idea that he was out looking not just for innocent people to punish, but everything I know about him, he is actually looking for guilty people to forgive. You see, people hear God's judgment, God's judgment. They automatically get this picture in their head of this Ogre of a God that's looking for all these people he can hurt and punish when God's actually not looking for innocent people to punish. He's looking for guilty people to forgive. There's a huge difference. We find that as we look through the Word of God, we find a very, very important verse that we use many times in sharing the gospel with people in Romans 3.23. When it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I've heard it try to be explained in lots of different ways. Not only is that statement a fact in speaking of our guilt before God, but I hope as we go through what we're looking at here in the book of Genesis, that you might even see it in a slightly different light. I'm also convinced, and certainly not the only person and not the first one to be so, that you will never, ever, you'll never, ever understand God's love and his mercy, his compassion and his grace without understanding sin and judgment. I'm talking about something, when I talk about God's judgment, I'm talking about something that is so glorious and so beautiful that it completely defies the very boundaries of our understanding. Man really has some strange ideas about right and wrong sometimes. He also has some very peculiar thoughts concerning what's fair and what's not, what's just and what's not. I wonder, who could I use for a guinea pig this morning? <laughs> Let's use Gareth. That's what you get for going into the ministry, brother. <laughs> Ruth, you might want to close your ears. Okay? <laughs> I want you just to imagine. For, I mean, this is just our thing. I want you to imagine for a moment that you went home one day this week and that when you got home, you found that 
the ugliest, meanest, cruelest man that you'd ever laid eyes on had broke into your house. He's all strung out on drugs. He just he, he needed money desperately. But anyway, he's done such horrible things to Ruth that we couldn't even begin to describe them. I mean, he didn't just go in and take what was not his. But I mean, he's tortured her. He's tormented her. He's put her through such hideous things that it's hard to even imagine or describe or see. But they've caught him. And they've locked him away. And now he's before a court of law and he's standing there and they're trying to defend him because of what he's done and what he's done is so horrible. And yet, the defense attorney gets up there and says, but judge, I know this wasn't very nice here, but last week, look at this little old lady that he helped across the street over here. Look at what he did here and look at what he did there. Look at these good things that he did and if that judge got up there and he said, you know, he did help that little old lady. <laughs> he did do some good things. So we're, we're just going to let him off for this. <laughs> he, he's done enough good things, you know, that it really shouldn't matter what he did to Ruth. Now, what would you think about that judge? Would you think he was a good judge or a bad judge? <laughs> would you think he was a fair judge, a just judge? I don't think anybody in their right mind would. But yet that is exactly what much of the world thinks. Well, it doesn't matter what that person has done. They're sin. Look at the good things they've done. And it's this whole weighing of good and bad. And that somehow that's the way that God is going to somehow judge us. Based upon what ends up weighing the scales out the most in the end. We think in our natural life... We would think, what in the world? How can that guy even sit up there and claim to be a judge and make a decision based on that kind of thing? And yet we think that just the opposite of God Almighty, the ruler, the creator of everything that is, we think that he's being unfair and unjust. Now understand, our purpose in looking at these verses is not to... <laughs> be able to do a detailed study on judgment. That's, that's a great thing, and we could spend a whole lot of time there. It would even be a worthwhile study. But that's not our goal. What we're looking at here is I want us just to grasp and understand that here in the Genesis account in God's Word, the foundation is laid for understanding judgment throughout the Word of God. And I repeat again, as we've repeated so many times during this series, in Psalm 11:3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We're talking about Almighty God, the God of the universe. We're talking about the creator of everything that is that we just read here. We're talking about the only one that is holy and righteous and true in everything that he is and in everything that he does. Evaluating the evidence and coming to a conclusive decision, there is no other that can do it better than he. That's why I say we're talking about God's judgment. 
We're talking about affirming God's judgment as we look through here. To, to affirm something is simply to, to verify it, to confirm it, to declare something to be so. As a matter of fact, if you go into a court of law and you stand there to give testimony before that court, one of the things they want you to do is to swear that everything that you're about to say is the truth and nothing but the truth. And there's one alternative because some people, because of their Christian faith, do not believe that a Christian should swear. You know the one word they'll let you replace it with and still testify in that court? I affirm that everything that I'm about to say is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You see, we're talking about, please understand, judgment, first of all, we think of it in, in man's picture and what man is something we, it's a part of our lives every day. We do it every day. It's something that is all around us. But man, because, because of his sinfulness, because of his fall, because of his inadequacies, he gets it all messed up sometimes. I believe the foundation is laid right here from the very beginning to affirm God's judgment. You see, there is no question about God judging. It's not a question of whether God judges or will judge. God's judgment is a matter of certainty. We just need to understand it. We've stated already that judgment can be passed on a huge variety of different things from the mundane to the important. Matter of fact, judgment can be passed on in some way on almost anything and everything that you can imagine. In a way, though, we can take all of those judgments, we can break them down into two categories, and we can label them all kinds of different things, positive or negative, good or bad, true or false, best or worst, Guilty or innocent, in order to be judged of necessity, there must be at least two options that are differing to some degree about what we're looking at. Something tilting the scales in one direction or the other. On the one hand, there's that which is positive, and that deserves reward. And whether that reward is simply the declaration of his goodness. Sometimes there's no prize as such, but it is something of something just being declared to be good, declared to be right, declared to be the best. And there is some positive gain or reward that comes from that, even if it is just the being recognized as such. The positive. On the other hand, there's the punitive. What does punitive mean? It means it carries a penalty with it. It deserves some kind of a reprisal, a, a discipline, a, a punishment of some kind. Again, that might be in just declaring that it is inferior, that it's not as good, that it doesn't match up to the other one. In some way, though, if you're judging, something's got to be above the other one. Something's got to be that which is getting the reward or getting the penalty. 
of not being the best. Now, as we look at these, we've just read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 31. You see, though sometimes judgment brings this whole thing of negative ideas, the first judgment of any kind that's recorded in God's Word The first one is right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. On the first day of creation, after God had created what was there, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was what? Good or bad? Good or not good? It had to be one or the other. God saw it, and it was good. We find that God continues to pass his judgment right down through. Day two, he does it. Day three, he gives two of them. Four, five, and six, he does. But on day six, he finds that he adds something else there. In verse 31, and God saw what? Everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. When God looked at everything that he had made, it is very good. Now, we talked about a lot of this when we looked at the absoluteness of God's creation, that it was very good, that it was exceeding good, that it was beautiful and and perfect in every way, that there was nothing wrong. You see, the other thing of being good is to be not good. That's the other side of it, but there was nothing not good. There were no imperfections. There wasn't anything that he didn't get right about it. Passing judgment that it was good, that it was very good. God was passing judgment on everything that he had done, on all of creation, everything that existed and everything. Imagine, this is there. Right after day six, when everything that was, was, it had been created, and there was nothing anywhere that was not good about all of it. The perfect God had created a perfect creation. Now, that is extremely important. Why? Because that's the standard by which all other judgments must be weighed against. God's perfection, God's goodness, what God did, everything about everything in his creation, at this point, it was perfect just like God. Everything that God had done could only be judged in a positive light. Man all too often has to deal with uncertainties. We hear a lot of talk today about relativity. (laughs) You see, we pass judgments every day on something based on how relative it is to something else, what its relation is to something else, how relative it is to us. (laughs) The problem is, is that all of man's standards are tarnished. (laughs) All of man's standards are imperfect. The only standard that really matters is God's standard. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God's standard. Everything that he did, everything that he created, everything that was on this earth was good. There was not a thing. There was not a smudge 
And along with God's positive judgment, there was the reward that came with it. <laughs> you see, not only was it declared beautiful and perfect, but we saw as God gave there and he told man and he told the animals, and he told everybody, look, it's all there for you, all the trees and all the fruits and everything. It's all there. God gave them everything that they needed. The Garden of Eden in its sinless state. At that point, all of God's creation, including humanity, is sinless. It's righteous, just like God himself. That gives new meaning when we think about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It all comes short of the standard that is set and laid out for us from the Bible when God first gives us his word in Genesis chapter 1. All of us there, we did know the glory of God. We were sinless. We were made in his image. There was nothing tarnished about us. We find that it was after that. It was the next judgment that comes in Genesis chapter 3 that is a punitive judgment. I would simply remind you at this point and give you this at closing that everything in God's Word is built on a solid foundation. It is infallible. We looked at the basis of our faith back in the very beginning Everything there is built on a solid foundation, line upon line, precept upon precept. Remember that when we begin to look closely at these portions of Scripture, we've already seen the foundation laid for many things that you cannot separate from what we're talking about here today. It all goes together. If we understand the accountability of mankind, you see, there is no question that we are accountable to God, that God has the authority and the right to pass judgment upon us, whether as an individual or corporately, and whether we like it or whether we don't, God has that authority. And we've seen that from the Word of God. We have seen the acuteness of man's fall. We've looked at all that was involved there from the entrance of sin first coming in to the enticement of the woman there in the garden to the error of man in falling, the estrangement with God, the enmity with Satan, the encompassing of the curse. We looked at all of that. And of course, we then looked at the atonement of sin, the sacrifice that was required to atone for it. You see, that's all vitally important when we try to understand the judgment of a holy and a righteous God. The more that we see God at work, the more confidence, the more faith that, that we have in him. And we're going to look next week, God willing, we're going to look as we continue on, and we're going to look at some of these things which I hope and pray will be a real encouragement to you because most of the time, the reason that we're most nervous 
about the subject of God's judgment, just like with any judgment, we're afraid we're going to be guilty. <laughs> we're afraid we're going to get the punitive instead of the positive. You know, when the Apostle Paul got down to the end, he wanted to be able to say, I fought a good fight. <laughs> I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered. His time of departure was at hand. You see, most of the time the fears, the anxieties come because we're afraid of the wrong kind of judgment being passed. Oh, but we're going to be looking. Man, you have never seen anything in your life that's as glorious as God's positive judgments <laughs> and the rewards that come with it. And I give you this again in closing because I think it's so very important. We will see that as we look ahead that God's judgment never comes without compassion. It's never separate from his grace. And we'll see that. Remember what I said earlier. God he is not going around looking for innocent people to punish. God is looking for guilty people to forgive. If you're here this morning, if you're lost, if you've never been saved, may I say to you, we'll be looking at the fact there is no way. God in heaven has no desire to punish you. God wants to forgive you. He wants to be able to give you all that goes with a positive judgment. If you're here and you are saved, you know if you're honest. You know if you're honest. Every one of us would have to say, there are some things, but I sure wish I didn't have to face God with. There's some things I wish I'd done a little better job at last week. The list can go on. May I say to you, your God right here this morning, <laughs> he's still, even amongst Christians, he's looking not for the innocent to punish, but for the guilty to forgive. God wants to forgive you. His grace is sufficient, but you've got to go with him. You're going to have a choice. You can walk out those doors, and you can carry it all with you, and you can go back out of here the same way that you came in, or you can meet with God here today. You can seek his judgment, which is the right judgment. You can accept his forgiveness, which he wants to give you today. You can accept what he wants to do with your life. Father, we thank you. Well, we thank you that when we begin to truly look at God's judgment, that it's a lot different from man's judgments. Father, I pray that as we look at this thought in these verses and some other things throughout this book of Genesis, Oh, I pray that you'll help us to grasp and understand. And I pray that, Lord, that it'll help us in our Christian walk, in our Christian lives, Lord, to be better Christians. Help us to be stronger Christians. Help us, Lord, to truly be able to recognize our failings and our shortcomings, our sin, but help us to also realize what we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here this morning not because of me for sure, not because of what I've said, but I pray that by your spirit you might speak to their hearts. They might know your love that none of us would leave here today, the same people that came in.
We give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.